Thinkers, welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. Uh, today, we're excited to have not just one, but two influential figures in the ongoing battle for truth and transparency in a digital age. First, we're uh, we're thrilled to welcome back Ryan Hartwick. He is a courageous whistleblower who lifted the veil on the inner workings of Facebook several years ago when he was a guest on on our show. Ryan worked for nearly two years as a content moderator, uh, witnessing firsthand the biases and censorship practices within the tech giant that our listeners know all too well. <laughs> um, since going public in 2020, he's been a voice of revelation in the tech community, uh, conducting hundreds of interviews across the globe and contributing significantly to several legal challenges against Facebook. He's also the author of Behind the Mask of Facebook, a tell-all book that dives deep into his experiences and observations and sheds light on this super shady shit going on over there between Facebook and government. Uh, also joined today is uh, Jason Fike. He's the founder of Social Media uh, Freedom Foundation. And uh, Jason's journey began with a personal legal battle against Facebook, which has since evolved, uh, according to my understanding, into a larger fight against the unconstitutional aspects of Section 230. Uh, his work at the Social Media Freedom Foundation is groundbreaking. It's advocating for the rights of social media users and challenging the legal framework that currently govern digital speech and privacy. I have uh, two opening questions for you guys, uh, one for each of you. I'm going to start with uh, Ryan. Uh, Ryan, welcome back, man. Good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, so so happy to be here. For sure, man, for sure. Since your last visit here, which was uh, in September of 2021, the time flies, man. <laughs> so, yeah, but since then, uh, I've seen, you know, you've continued to be like a big outspoken voice against tech censorship. And um I was wondering if you could just, you know, share with our listeners how your experiences, you know, from leaving Facebook to now have have shaped your uh, path. And, um, you know, what's what's keeping you going in this ongoing battle for digital transparency? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a long road and, and me and Jason Fick here, have been, we've been working together a long time as well. Uh, since at least since at least 2021, about that time, same time frame. And, you know, I went public in 2020, so it's been three years since I went public. A lot's changed since then. I have two beautiful daughters and I have a family now. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so we've we've had a lot of things going on in the last you know, few years we've had. Uh, it just goes on. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I think we are waking people up, which is good. But uh, yeah, like I was I was involved in the in this uh, this lawsuit against Google, this punch Google lawsuit, along with Zach Voorhees, the Google whistleblower. And then um, I'm an officer in, in Jason Fix, uh, you know, Social Media Freedom Foundation. But o- overall, it's you know we're trying to get together more evidence. I think we're getting a lot of evidence. We have the Missouri versus Biden case. We're getting these cases to the Supreme Court. Um, I, I try to be optimistic, but a lot of times I, I fall into pessimism. Um, I, I'm just yeah. There, there's so much there's so much disinformation like misinformation out there or just information in general i think we're just overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information in in the digital age so 
it's kind of, I think the challenge right now is just, you know, finding the right news source and getting that out to the right people and then getting people to take action. So like here in Arizona, we have, uh, you know, we, we've got a governor who we don't think was elected properly. And there, there's just so many battles we, we, we need to fight. So right now, I, I think, you know, big tech and some of these stories that we, me and Jason work on, you know, Facebook whistleblower, okay, what do you do? Okay, exposed how Facebook censors and spies on people. It's weird because most of us have kind of already normalized this surveillance. Like, oh, it's, it's okay. Well, it's free. Well, I don't care if they spy on, spy on me. And so it's kind of hard. It's not as sexy as other stories out there. So it's not as sexy as, you know, oh, save the children or, you know, so for us, you know, for Jason's legal fight, it's it's tough because it's like, okay, we've got this, a lot of legal legalese and people don't, they kind of like, they kind of like stop listening after, after a few minutes <laughs> or, you know, they hear the legalese. But overall, I think it's been, what's keeping me going is just my, my kids, because I think about the next 20, 30 years, my kids are going to be in school pretty soon. Okay. What are they going to see online? What social media sites are they going to, are they going to visit, visit? Is Facebook and Instagram, are they still going to be spying on us like they've always have and, and injecting ideas into my kids' heads? So that's what keeps me going. I, I like that. I tend to agree, man. The, definitely everything I do in this world is for my family. And um, I'm trying to leave a better place than uh, the than I grew up as a kid. But that's going to be very hard to do. You know, now I'm just trying to stop the 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 exponential decline into utter chaos and, and tyranny. And yeah, that's a good answer, man. I, I, I believe that. I think that, um, our kids are going to have to traverse some, some really crazy shit coming up, you know, in the next five years to a decade. And we'll, we'll see how that unfolds. And it's basically why I do everything I do. Um, Jason, um, sorry, I, I've only ever read your name, so I, I, I pronounced it Fike earlier. I'm now, I know it's Fick, and um, that's how I'll proceed with this. Uh, apologies for that, but um, anyways, it's great to have you on the podcast, man. Uh, your Appreciate journey that. from um, you know, being, I guess, personally harmed by Facebook, uh, and then taking on this massive challenge of going up against Facebook and the U.S. government, which I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> has caused you to pull out a lot of hair and, uh, over the, and, and, and a lot of stress over the past couple of years. Um, but could you tell us a bit about what initially sparked this fight for you and like what it's been like navigating, I'm sure, what is very complex legal challenges? Yeah, yeah, uh, Matt, I appreciate that. We, um, I'm going to over, I'm, you know, as Ryan said, people glaze over when you start getting into these legals, right? So I'm going to try mm -hmm. and really simplify everything so people understand exactly what happened here. These big tech companies, right? They offer us a platform for all ideas and it's supposedly free, right? Come on and use them. So we, we go based on that representative, you know, representation and we build our businesses on those, you know, on their platforms, right? We, we basically build them, right? We do the work, we, we provide the content. And then once they no longer need us or they don't value us or they don't agree with us, or they don't like us or or whatever reason it is, they simply just get rid of us. Right. And that's what they did to me. I mean, they they basically said, hey, come and build your business on here. Provide us free content. Um, we'll get all the data. And then once the data is no longer valuable to us, we're going to switch our program and we're going to start to take money to actually prioritize and advance content. Right. They start prioritizing uh, advertising content, right? Pretty simple. The thing is, is that the courts think that that's the job of a service provider. It's not. The service provider is the app, right? 
The only context in which publishing is done is that the app itself allows people to self-publish. It has nothing to do with their publishing conduct. So the thing is, is that they then became what is officially known as an information content provider, right? Because they're consciously providing content. They, they're deciding what is and is not allowed on the site. Now that became directly competitive with users like me, right? Because if they're going to take money from one guy to help develop their content, and then it's in their best interest to restrict my content, right? Replace me. And they literally have that written down. I mean, their, their program is called uh, Remove, Reduce, and Inform. It may as well just be say, say remove uh, what, what just, we can justify as you know violating our rules, reduce anything we can't justify as, as violating rules, and we're going to inform, in, in other words, replace it with content we choose. So courts have just thought that they're just allowed to pick content. That's wrong. It's just fundamentally wrong. And they did it to me. And this is the basic gist of what happened. They shut down. I, I built a massive audience, like 38 million fans. I was doing like 300 grand a month. I was killing it, right? This is way back, 2013. So imagine what that would be worth today. But see, the thing is, they became my direct competitor, and all users' direct competitor for that matter. And they just found reasons to get rid of me. Now, those reasons were anti-competitive. They had nothing to do with the offensiveness of the content, right? But they're hiding behind the the law, right? I'm sure you probably heard of Section 230. They're hiding behind this law and essentially saying, well, we can decide what is and is not against our rules and they can just take it down. And people are starting to believe that. That's wrong. It The only way that they would get the state's protection, right, Section 230, is what's known as an affirmative defense. This is like self-defense. It means after they've already restrained the party's individual liberties, right, they take your property, they... They, they shut your page down, whatever, the government will step in and protect them from civil liability. That's all it is. So we, 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 in my circumstance, they shut my content down, right? Because they didn't like me competing with them anymore. The, about three months later, I went to a competitor and I said, hey, could you see, because they, they spent tons of money with Facebook. I said, hey, can you see if you guys can get your reps at Facebook to reinstate my pages? So they asked Facebook and Facebook's response was, we're not going to do it for Jason, but we will if you guys own the pages. Wow. <laughs> so the content has nothing to do with the argument, right? And they reinstated the pages after I transferred it to my competitor, which means on its face, content's impropriety was, was irrelevant. It had nothing to do with it, right? But yet they're going to go in and bring a 230 defense and say, well, it, it was offensive in, in, in uh, you know, it was somehow offensive in good faith, right? And that's what everybody thinks, that the court's going, well, they can consider whatever they want to be otherwise objectionable in good faith. Makes sense, right? Seem, seems to be what's going on, right? Well, what if I told you that has absolutely nothing to do with the problem? Nothing. In fact, the problem is Section 230 has three parts. The first is what the legislature intended. It says they're supposed to be good Samaritans. The second part says that they can't be treated as someone else. And the third part says that they can actually act as a publisher in some capacity to restrict otherwise objectionable content in good faith. That's the part everybody thinks that's applying, but it's not. In fact, it's the, the second part where it says that it can't be treated as somebody else. The courts literally misread it. The words are right in front of them. It says what it says. 
they changed it. And in changing it, it went from they can't be treated as the who, meaning somebody else, to the what, a publisher in the general sense. Well, of course, if they can act as a publisher in the general sense, so long as the content was originally put there by somebody else, then they can't actually be held accountable as themselves. That becomes super immunity, right? It's blanket immunity for everything under the second part, which means the courts are never considering good faith because they never advanced that as a, as a defense. They don't need to because the first part swallowed it. And we argued this with the courts literally for years. And they said, oh, no, no, no. It, it doesn't actually... It doesn't actually render 230C2 useless because perhaps they, they, they might have actually developed information on C2, which, of course, it says restrict, not develop, right? They're only supposed to be removing stuff in bad faith, which is to say that if they're removing content in order to advance other content, which is exactly what anti-competitive restrictions are, that's not good faith. But yet again, but the argument to the court is, first off, Development is still a publication decision, so it's still redundant. And even if this court is correct, it's still not C2. It's C1 you're still using. It's still superfluous. So they didn't want to fix it. I mean, legitimately, it's like we're in a circular argument with these courts going, what the hell? Why are you guys not fixing this? Well, we figured it out. And this is where everything is, has recently changed. For years, we fought this. We went around in circles. We went back and we said, wait a second. Even if, let, let's say it's called arguendo. Let's say for argument's sake, you're right, courts, that it does protect all publication decisions, which is stupid. I mean, that's completely absurd. It doesn't. It doesn't based on the text of the statute. But let's just say argumentatively that it's correct. The Good Samaritan general provision still applies to the whole damn statute. You still would have to be acting as a Good Samaritan. And even if you want to say that that's subjective, the two principles of, of Good Samaritan is if you're not involved in an accident, you can't be held accountable for anything that happened in the accident. There's your first part. And then if you do actually take action to render aid, you can't be held accountable for any potential civil or criminal liability if you cause additional harm because you acted in good faith. That's Good Samaritan. It's so blatantly simple. And the thing is, they said, well, if you didn't cause the original accident, it means that you can come up, bust somebody's window out, steal their wallet, run away, because you can't be treated as somebody involved in the accident. Well, what about your own conduct? Right? It makes no sense. So we then said, well, even if that was the case, you still at least have to be the Good Samaritan. And the court said, oh, no. The Good Samaritan doesn't apply, apply to the first part. So now they cannot be treated as themselves for their own conduct. And the legislative intent of the entire statute doesn't even apply. Well, see, that's a bigger problem. Now, the crazy part is we then turned around and we, we caught him in an absolute catch-22. We had him checkmate. Absolute checkmate. The last time that we went to the Northern District of California, we basically said, look, either you're wrong and the statute is, is constitutional, meaning you got it wrong, you read 230C1 one wrong, the text says what it says, or the statute, Good Samaritan being yanked out of it, means that there's no legislative guidance whatsoever, and it's unconstitutional. It's a catch-22. Either way, they're wrong. And we file something called a Procedural Rule 5.1, right? Big fancy name for basically a constitutional challenge. And we said, this doesn't work. If the legislative intent is not attached to the conduct of the individual, there's no 
it, it's basically they're free to do whatever they want. That's called unfettered immunity. It's unconstitutional. Now, here's the craziest part about this mess, and this is where things have taken a turn. And I'll be honest, I was disappointed for about a day. But the, the district court came back and basically said, we don't care that there's six other cases. Um, we're, we're only paying attention to one of them. That one's not correct. Cited the same textual mistake, then ignored this case called Dangard versus Instagram. I can't even I can't even describe to you how, how annoying this is because their own court, literally the most senior respected judge in that court, Alsop, he figured it out. He literally articulated exactly what we've been saying for six years. We are just way ahead of our times. People think I'm nuts or I'm wrong. No, I'm just too far ahead of people to understand what's going on. The reality of this problem is that he recognized that 230C1 was being used as a backdoor CDA immunity. It's his exact words. He realized it. C1 can't be used as some sort of super immunity to just circumvent all of the, the, the laws, including the legislative intent. That makes no sense. In fact, he even laid it out. And this, this, should, have, this should bother everybody. He laid it out that the algorithm has to be designed to be neutral. Wouldn't that be amazing if it was a neutral platform again? He said that it has to be neutral <laughs> because if it is designed to facilitate anti-competitive conduct, that constitutes content development, which is content provision, which means that CDA, civil liability immunity, would be unavailing. You can't have it. That is monstrous. That case is literally the holy grail for any lawyer listening to this. Go read that case. It's huge. The facts of that case are identical to my case, right? And I hope, I, I hope I'm not going too long here, but this is some big stuff that mm. I'm talking about here. Now- Yeah, no, and, and me and Jason, let me find, if you don't mind me, Jason, I'll just inject real quick. Because uh, like, me, me and Jason, every time when the, something happens with the case, Jason get, calls me. So last Friday, uh, I had this, this feeling that I should, I should text Jason. And he, he called me immediately. He's like, Ryan, guess what? <laughs> And, and they, they shut down that one case. And so, you know, me and Jason, we've been working on this for a while. And it's just, just kind of give you some context on it. Um, everything that happens, he explains it to me. And I'll be honest, guys, I'm at, and uh, it's, I don't, I don't understand the legalese very well. Jason understands it much better. I try to dumb it down as much as I can, but we, that's the struggle is you can only dumb it down to a certain degree. But uh, um, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. I'll let him continue here in a second. But we, you know, we, we even, at one point we even talked to the nephew of a guy who wrote the Communications Decency Act, but but yeah, that, that's essentially what it is. It's it's backdoors Communications Decency Act immunity, and so the law is not being applied correctly. It's been it's been misapplied for the last you know twenty plus years, giving this huge advantage to to Facebook to do whatever they want. Um, yeah, clearly. So, and uh, just a, a quick interjection. I, like I'm, I was ignorant to that. I thought 230 was like what kind of would help social media companies allow more free speech because it doesn't hold them liable for speech on their platforms. But it seems no. like that they're weaponizing this this one particular uh, like article of it or whatever to 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 go after and selectively shut people up, whoever they don't like. Correct. They, they're using the wrong subsection of a law incorrectly. And when I say they're using, meaning the courts are are essentially allowing them to do this consistently. Mm -hmm. They're using it as essentially unlimited immunity. It's wrong. It, it's textually wrong, and it doesn't follow the intent of the statute. And see, there's two ways to consider a law. 
right? Either text, what they say, by the letter of the law or by the spirit of the law. There's two ways. The courts aren't following either. That's a problem, right? If they're not doing what the text says, because we can prove that, and they're not applying the legislative intent to it, they're not following either one. But here's the craziest part is, is that 5.1 constitutional challenge that we filed, right? This absolutely nailed them. It says in there that the court must certify to the appropriate attorney general that a constitutional question has been raised and that my right to do so is not procedurally forfeitable. Now, do you understand what that means, guys? It means they can't get rid of it, right? The court terminated it. Right. So wow. they forfeited a non-forfeitable right. That's a willful disregard for my constitutional rights. That is so over the top that it's like, okay, our constitution has failed, right? They don't even care. Now, but see, this puts us in an in a, in a odd position, which is going to be something, you know, they think that this is just like, I'm just going to give up and roll over, right? Because then, then they tried to threaten my uh, my attorney with um, revoking his pro hoc vice status, right? I mean, this is a full-blown war because I'm not really fighting Facebook. I'm fighting the United States government. They want to hold on to this free speech um, weapon that they've got. They know it. We know it. I know it. Everybody knows it at this point, right? Our next step is this. What they have now done by circumventing my constitutional rights, by applying a law not as written, or by the intent of the statute, do you know what they have gone and done? You ever heard of something called the separation of powers? Anybody? Yeah. 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 Clearly. So legislature is supposed to make laws. The judiciary is supposed to enforce those laws and the executive carries them out, right? Right. Right. And, and they essentially can't step over each other's bounds. What did you say, Don? I said that they've essentially thrown that out the window, it seems. Right. And, and I think that's probably one of the the biggest aspects of this entire thing that people need to grasp is the the way that the judicial system is currently working to preserve this monopolized overlap of private sector and federal government, uh, where these companies like Facebook, big tech, social media, etc., are working essentially as censors by proxy for the federal government, but then hiding behind this legalese, oh, we're private companies, we can do whatever the hell we want, when that's demonstrably not the case. Oh, I'm going right. to have fun with this, we too. You, do you know what you call a a private tech company that is essentially the tool for which the government is censoring people? It's got an actual name. Government. Now, everybody thinks that they're state actors. They're not state actors. They're private. But so are banks, right? Banks are private. But you know mm -hmm. what? The banks are still regulated by government, aren't they? And that's because there's something called a government instrumentality. They're not state agents. They're the instrument by which they're, the state has essentially asked them to block and screen. In other words, restrain speech. Uh-oh. Right. We have definitive proof them. of this. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me let me get into this the separation of powers a little bit further, right? Because this is important. Mm. This is really important because this is not the arguments you hear about Section 230 all the time. You hear publisher. You hear all these other nonsensical things, the First Amendment. Now, here's what it is. Here's what the problem comes down to. The United States judiciary, mostly the California courts, basically put together two and a half decades of bad precedent. It's all sorts of flawed, right? Because what happened was 230C1 became unlimited immunity 
this like super immunity. In doing so, they didn't follow the text of the statute. Well, if they didn't follow the letter of the law and they didn't follow even the spirit of the law, that's called a subrogation of congressional authority. In other words, they did the legislature's job here and rewrote the law. That's a massive problem. If the courts are just not going to fix their problem, not going to respect the Constitution, not going to respect the constitutional challenge, and then do what Congress it was intended to do, they have essentially circumvented Congress's power. If I were a congressional member, I'd be pissed. It means that their power doesn't mean anything because the judiciary can simply just do whatever it wants. And meanwhile, we can't get the Supreme Court to even address this thing. We've been to the Supreme Court twice already, probably heading a third time because I have no hope whatsoever that the Ninth Circuit is going to do the right thing here. But the craziest thing of all things, and this, this will probably burn everybody. They're going to be so annoyed, right? So the when a person in when a person or entity right facebook google whatever they invoke the state's protections right they invoke what is it section 230 it's an affirmative defense right it's just like self defense it means they've already restrained somebody but now they're asking for the government to essentially protect them from their own conduct so if they do that what does that do right nobody really knows well i do in an affirmative defense like self-defense, right? Somebody shoots somebody else. What happens to them? Do they just walk away or are they arrested? Pretty simple. They're arrested, right? They get, they get arrested initially. Right. right. They yeah. get arrested. And so they, they have to prove, well, yeah, you're innocent to prove guilty. But, but there you go. Like if well, I no. watch someone no, no, else no. And, they shoot, and I no. shoot them. No, right? Ryan, you have that backwards. It is innocent <laughs> until proven guilty except in an affirmative defense. Then the burden of proof shifts to the defendant because they've already mm. committed an otherwise unlawful act. They killed somebody. It's homicide, right? They have to mm -hmm. – the burden of proof shifts to them to prove that they acted within the state's affirmative defense protection. Just like Facebook is supposed to prove that they acted in good faith when restricting our content. Except if you can circumvent that by using C1 instead and say, well, we can't be treated as a publisher – it means that they have now collapsed the entire purpose of the affirmative defense. It effectively means that, and I'll put it in the context of an example, if a property owner, like Facebook, Google, Twitter, whatever, is not the original shooter, meaning somebody else shoots somebody and that person runs around the house and they put a bullet in their head just to end them, they can't be treated as the shooter by the law, except the law has read it as they can't be treated as a shooter, which means that they can actually commit another harm and not be treated as themselves, and they don't even have to act in self-defense. That's how absurd this law has become. The courts just won't do the right thing, and and we're right in their face, and it's one of those, I mean, we, we my attorneys, and I think you guys will get a kick out of this, and I'm gonna, then I'll sort of land my plane there. The if, if the courts decide to try and sanction my attorneys, it'll be an interesting conversation walking into court and saying, well, in all of these years, we can prove that we were right, you never gave me leave to amend. You never gave us an oral argument. You never considered the the actual statute's text or the intent, and you subverted his constitutional rights, but we're going to sanction you for defending your client's constitutional rights. Yeah, that'll play out well. <laughs> I'll lay my plane there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's <clears throat> this is it's this is pretty crazy, man. And this is like 
I guess this is status quo, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. Has anybody ever successfully sued a social media tech giant? I know, um, they have, but they've been very big companies. That that Epic Games is just like mine. The, the Alex Berenson, I think he he sued Twitter and got reinstated on there because he was he was removed like just for you know stating factual information. But that's the only case. person I can actually think of. I mean, we have we have definitive proof that that the government gave Facebook and Twitter a list of Haitian terrorists and put the free thought project on that list. And these platforms then used it all in the same day to wipe us off of social media, like mm-hmm. holy, all of our, all of our platform, all of our pages and, and platforms, even our personal profiles, they, um, they completely removed off of Facebook and we have definitive proof of that, you know, and we're unable to even challenge these people. With right. that. And they, I mean, that's not just, you know, that goes very deep besides, uh, we don't even have to, you know, channel uh, uh, two thirty. I mean, this is this is slander, and it's it's. Well, direct. they don't have to prove that they even acted <laughs> in good faith, because they'll just use the wrong subsection as a super immunity. It, it's that's the problem, and that's why it continues, because and then you get that argument about how they have a First Amendment, you know, right. Well, sure, they got a First Amendment right. They can take down or put up any content they want, but it doesn't mean that they're protected from civil liability when they do that. The point of 230 is, is that it does protect them from some conduct if they can prove that they acted in good faith. They don't prove that. They just right. say, oh, we can't be a publisher. Yeah. Well, yes, you can. And and that's part of the problem, too, is the status quo issue. So, um, yeah, so Ryan here. Um, the, yeah, the status quo. So, like, we, we, me and Jason, we, we were at Mar-a-Lago in November. So I was in this film, The Police State. Um, with Dinesh D'Souza, I was interviewed as part of the documentary, and I'm not going to name any names, but we, you know, we just in general, um, you know, people on the left and the right are happy with the status quo of where things are with Section 230. So uh, that that's the problem is is this huge shift, and even in Neil Gorsuch in in uh, his recent decision, one of his decisions, uh, you know, he even mentioned, hey, we don't want to disrupt the status quo. Well, okay, well, you guys were wrong for the tw- last 20 plus years, so do you want to be right or do you want to be wrong, like? And some of it is, you know, the role of the, the Supreme Court in these decisions, but they've they've just it's pretty clear that they've decided not to hear these these vital cases in the digital age when you have these huge companies making billions and trillions of dollars off of the data of individuals. And as to your point, um, Matt, as far as you know, the Free Thought Project putting a point being put on a list, I was at Facebook as a content moderator between 2018 and 2020, mm-hmm. and I saw those lists. So the, it was called the Dangerous Individuals and Organizations, mm-hmm. and we had a list of public figures. I didn't see your name on there at that point in time, but you know, we had you know nationalists and different people in Europe who were putting on these lists as um, hate figures. And then, you know, we, you can't even mention them in any regard unless it's condemn, condemn, condemning them. And so that, that was, that's kind of fun, too, is uh, just a quick aside is uh, if you mention if you mention someone who's on the hate figure list, but you're sarcastic, we, we're not allowed to read into the sarcasm. So you could say, uh, Matt, with Free Thought, Project, Pod, Free Thought Project podcast is he's a horrible person. You know, the sarcasm <laughs> dripping with sarcasm. And we were not allowed to read into that. So we would leave it up. But um yeah, it's 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 really criminal what they're doing. They really are a part of it's a criminal conspiracy, I think. And you know, Laura Loomer filed a lawsuit that, and I use I gave her some of my evidence. She filed a lawsuit under the RICO um, laws, and so it, I don't know. I don't know what to do. It's it's we we we're fighting against them, but they're 
you know, back to your original question, like, has anyone won against them? Has anyone won against big tech? And I, I see someone else who's fighting against, against Amazon. We're, we, you know, we're fighting against Google. But what's the end game, you know? Yeah, luckily we have some kind of, you know, a little bit of a free speech platform with Twitter. You know, I think that that was that that helps in this battle. But as far as like the overall war, I, I, free speech is, is losing. <laughs> you know, I, I don't see a, a way out of this. I mean, look, you know, Jason's been at this for for years trying to fight it. We've been at it for years trying to fight it as well. And it's just like it's it's a David and Goliath fight where Goliath is uh, it's got the support of so many other Goliaths that it's you know, it's it doesn't seem like a winnable battle. And I, I hate to be pessimistic like that, um, you know, but I, I that's what I, I wanted to get. Like, what do you think is a solution besides trying to play them at their own game with, you know, with lawsuits and stuff like that? Is, is the solution Elon Musk? I mean, I don't. Elon Musk. The, 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 the short answer is the solution is blockchain, like blockchain based. Uh, yeah, yeah. Decentralized. Absolutely. But I'll, I'll let uh, Jason answer as far as the solution. I mean, what Elon did is a band aid. Um, it definitely helps. It is right. not by it is not by any means a solution. A solution is get the raw the law right, open them off to the the proper amount of liability, fix the internet all at one shot. Yes, it means that they're going to have to overturn a lot of bad precedent, but they made their bed. They need to lie in it, right? This Do you see that happening though? I mean, these uh, are the people that caused the whole problem. You no, think I don't gonna, see it uh, happening. That's that's the problem. Yeah. But but see, that's the point yeah. of what it is to be a fighter in this is that although uh, the odds are insanely stacked against me, right? Am I supposed to just give up? Like. Should I, yeah. should I just relinquish the fact that they're violating the Constitution and I'm probably the only one in the nation that fully understands everything that happened here? I can't, right? It, it goes beyond me. I, I mean, this is this is such a pervasive problem that – and the unfortunate part is is that it gets no attention, so the Supreme Court thinks it's not a big issue. But it's literally the judiciary is subverting congressional authority. That's – massive like it's like beyond massive that's like well forget the law i mean court can just do what it wants that's not how this works that's not how the united yeah. states works that, that was the first thing that came to my mind when when jason called me last friday he's like he was like holy shit like what what just happened like he was he was still he, he just got the decision and the first thing that came to my mind is okay if they're breaking the law at that level like that leads to the disruption and the breakdown of society as we know it i mean we we love to talk about these these zombie movies right walking dead but yeah when, when your courts fail you like that's what that's third world shit that's banana republic and so i we don't want to go there obviously we want to prevent that but i i think the solution is kind of this decentralized kind of using blockchain as an example like uh, websites like i like uh, bastion that are decentralized social media websites. Um, I wholly agree there too with like minds and just stuff that's uncensorable. I mean, that's the only answer is stop, get off of their platforms yep. and build a new system that, that, you know, shows the obsolescence of theirs. Right. And I think that's why the, like the concept of creating parallel societies to escape this dystopian that they've created is so important. I know, uh, privately, we were talking about how uh, Jason Bassler, why he's not here right now is because he's currently giving a presentation on like CBDCs and things of that nature at, at the uh, Greater Reset 5 manifestation 
uh, which is essentially that this is the whole concept is, you know, like let's work together on creating beneficial voluntarist parallel systems and societies to try to circumvent this dystopic crap that's currently happening. Because when you look at what is currently happening with social media, and I think, you know, Matt, you had mentioned like the whole David versus, versus Goliath thing. I think that's like one of the best analogies for it, honestly, because of the way that these companies have not only positioned themselves, but especially if we look at the history, the way they're just ingrained in this monolithic structure of, I we can essentially call it fascism because the crossover of corporate power and government power merging as one is fascist by any other name, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see, you know, how companies like Facebook, they got their startup through CIA front organizations like InQtel. So they, immediately from the jump, they're connected to the deep state, military industrial complex, national security complex, and have continued to facilitate this behavior through funding of quote-unquote non-governmental, but still very heavily tied to that same apparatus entities like the Atlantic Council, which is directly behind the 2018 mass purge across all of social media. And even with the recent release of the Twitter files last year, we see it going all the way up to the White House, giving direct orders, this is who you censor, this is who you go after. And so it's, it's in addition to challenging these things, it's creating the parallel to like, essentially get away from them entirely because that's what is needed. This is not just a, a United States problem, right? Right. I know uh, Ryan sent me a whole bunch of uh, different examples with all this, all these activist groups fighting against similar legislation in countries all over, you know, in Ireland and in Spain. It's like they, they, they all have this same modus operandi of, of restricting speech online. And it's, I mean, it, it, you know, put your tinfoil hat on. That's got to be coming down from a top authority somewhere, which is most likely people like the WF or the the Council on Foreign Relations or the Trilateral Commission, all of whom are threatened by free speech. You know, their their agendas are completely threatened by people speaking out against this. And uh, yeah, so it's a it's a it's a global issue. Right. And just and, really quickly, one thing that, that 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 I tend to mention when the subject comes up is. Just the precedent behind that in general. I mean, we have this company, Facebook, and and many others that are based in the United States that have been, from their outset, tied to the U.S. government, NQTEL, CIA, all that sort of stuff, that are doing the bidding of the U.S. government and violating the free speech rights of sovereign citizens in other sovereign countries that have absolutely nothing to do with the U.S. government, nothing to do with U.S. corporations. So the inter, the, the precedent, or not precedent, the implications on a legal level for international law is just insane. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good point. And that's something I really uh, mentioned in my book, Behind the Mask of Facebook, is how there's been other whistleblowers as well within Facebook who have said, um, you know, hey, they're they're influencing these these foreign elections. These there's these dictators in in Latin America who are buying bots on Facebook and using it to influence influence public discourse and elections. And and so yeah, and then yeah, so there's there's a lot a lot of international things that are going on. And I've I've done a lot of international interviews. You know, in Spain, I speak fluent Spanish. I've I've been involved in Brazil with some politics down there, and uh, you know, giving them the evidence. And you know, I. We we need. I, I think we are waking up. We're, we're sounding the alarm. Um, I mentioned that we went to Mar-a-Lago in November. Me and Jason. It was a great event. 
uh, for that for Dinesh's documentary. And I think Dinesh D'Souza is doing a good job of waking people up. Like, hey, this is happening. Like, this woman got raided by the FBI because she she showed up at a PTA meeting. Like, yeah. a mom she got raided by the FBI because she was too vocal. And so I think it's crucial we have like people like Jason Bachelor, your podcast, to to wake people and and you know Dinesh D'Souza, other public figures who are waking people up. Um, Dan Bongino, all these people. I mean. As much as we, you know, it, there's there's a lot of uh, we might disagree with some of them at some points in time, like different these different, you know, the whole media circus and whatnot, right wing right. media. But at the end of the day, we're we're trying to wake people up. So if we're waking people up and making them more aware of what's happening, that that's a win for me. Yeah, I agree. I, you, and that's the, the that's what we have to do first. I think before we make any progress, we have to be able to realize that we're not going to agree 100% with everybody out there and on especially on this globalized scale of social media and but we can find commonality so if you agree that you could you should be able to say what you want to say online as long as you're not calling for the you know for harming others then then that's a good thing we should we find common ground and then it's it's these divisive chambers that we put that that we're put into that helps this behemoth this goliath succeed you know because we're too busy fighting with each other and not getting along as as they just they love it. The people at the top love this shit. They love us fighting over all kind of crazy shit instead of, you know, seeing that our rights are being stripped from us one by one systematically by plan. That's entirely what I, I mean. That's effectively what I'm saying right here is, is that until we stop the government from essentially creating the, the, the tools that they need, the weapons that they need to control all information, any oppositional information the government itself is collapsing the constitution I mean, that's what they're doing we're watching it happen i mean yes it's great to make people aware but you know a lot of people are just feel helpless because yeah now now they're at least aware of it but then what you know i mean you have to take this fight to them you know and, and that's realistically what we're trying to do with the social media freedom foundation is is that it's purely at protecting our individual civil liberties on the internet. I mean, like we're supposed to be able to say what we want and do what we want, and the government isn't supposed to be involved in that. Now they're saying, well, they're private entities, they can do what they want. They can, but it doesn't mean that the government can protect it from civil liability. It, that's where this thing goes off the rails. And the fact that they're not even, they don't even have to act as a good Samaritan means that Congress's law has been completely just obliterated. So to put it simply, Congress didn't screw up the law, though. There's nothing wrong with it. Doesn't need to be repealed. It doesn't. It's not outdated. It's the judiciary didn't abide by it. They didn't textually or, you know, its intent. And if the judiciary isn't going to apply the law as it's actually written, the laws no don't matter anymore. Our rights don't matter anymore. So, the pro the problem is far more pervasive than than these big tech companies. The the, the problem is is due squarely. In the courts, the judiciary, the, the the legislature, and and the executive branch. I mean, the executive branch is overstepped its bounds. So, when does it end? You know, one of the branches is going to at least have to stand up, you know, step up and be a hero and and, and go at the other branches. It, it's it's that bad. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't want to sound like a defeatist, but man, it, it is really a problem. Uh, I I agree, man, and. Uh, just to shift gears here a little bit, speaking of, you know, saying and doing what you want on the Internet, so long as it doesn't harm people. Uh, Ryan emailed me um, some potential subjects that we could have talked about for this podcast. And one of them was very intriguing. It's uh, 
it's pornography in in regard to free speech, right? Um, yeah. There's a tweet that he shared um, that you know about from uh, Megan Murphy, uh, and it, 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 I'll, I'll go ahead and read it, and we could we can get into that a little bit. It's a this is a little. A little lighter conversation, I guess. Maybe yeah. before you before you dive into that, before you dive into that, Matt, real quick, I just want to mention, like we're talking about that. You know, we're a little bit we're pessimistic, but I just want to point out one quick thing. So, sure. Jason Fick, like he has a he's in a unique position because not anyone can just say, "Hey, I want to sue the government over Facebook." So he's because he sued Facebook first, and when the Supreme Court they chose not to hear him, he sued the government itself. So that's one great thing about you know supporting us here, the Social Media Freedom Foundation is is Jason has this wealth of expertise and knowledge, obviously, as you can hear about the legal aspects of it, but he, not everyone can do what he's doing because they don't, don't have the legal standing. I just wanted to point that out real quick. And the best part is when the courts yeah. don't recognize your standing. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, yeah. at the beginning, I really appreciate and respect all this. Cause I know it's not easy, man. I know like challenging the government is, is, and, and going to, you know, into their house to try to show them that they've done wrong is, is a, is one of the hardest things you can do in this world. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it. And we're going to have, um, you know, we're going to have all the the links for everything up there uh, or, or all, all the ways that they can support you guys, um, you know, in the podcast description below. So, <clears throat> and we're going to let you guys plug all that too, at the end here. Uh, I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, so like, shifting gears to the go ahead and read that tweet. Yeah, the the tweet about uh, yeah, you got me really intrigued, and I just yeah. want to talk about. It. I know we you know yeah. we we have about fifteen minutes left, but I just want to do. I really want to briefly touch on this because it's a it got me thinking, and my the wheels are spinning in my head, and um and I agree with what this what Megan Murphy said. I'll, I'll go ahead and read her tweet real quick, and um she said uh, that porn destroys girls' self esteem, sense of self, body image, view of sexuality, and sexual pleasure. It teaches kids to accept, perpetrate, and normalize sex abuse. It destroys boys' views of sex and sexuality, of girls, of relationships. It makes them into addicts. It ruins people's sex lives before they even get a chance to learn about what genuinely pleasurable sexual relationship is. And I tend to agree with that. I, I see that, you know, um, you know, I think pornography can be harmful. Um and I, you know, addiction to pornography is even worse. And I do see this, you know, I see a rise in pornography, like the number one um, uh, desired job for for millennials and Gen Xers or not Gen X, Gen Zers is is they want to be social media influencers. And when they realize that they, you know, it's very hard to get into that, they're moving into like the, the OnlyFans. But as a libertarian, I'm like, I'm not one to stop you from doing that at all. You know, I don't I. I think that people should have the right to film themselves having sex in any way they want to, you know, so long as both parties are voluntarily entering into that relationship, then I don't see anything wrong with that. So, but I do see the effects of such things being mass distributed and put out online. And, um, but I know that the answer is not in banning it, right? When we ever see the government ban anything or, or enact any kind of prohibition um, like we, we've been talking about for the last 40 minutes, prohibition of free speech online has caused a, a shit storm of problems. So I wanted to get you guys input on like what a possible solution to this is. I think um, there, I, I read this whole thread underneath Megan's uh, post and a lot of people were like, well, cigarettes harm you and we don't think those should be illegal. And Megan posted up a, a she replied to that saying that, well, are they pretending that cigarettes aren't harmful? And certainly they aren't anymore. 
But when they first came out, they were telling you cigarettes were healthy. So uh, my potential solution is knowledge, right? You, you teach your kids about the horrible aspects of what pornography can be, you know, um, and, you know, what it, you know, what it can do to you and that this isn't normal sex, you know, like girls spitting out white frothy foam is not foam is not normal. And that's, you know, I mean, unless two, two people want to enjoy that, you know, but it's not like that's not the status quo. But um, anyway, I wanted to get your your input, um, you know, Ryan and Jason, if you guys have any on this. And since since Ryan proposed it, I had to I had to delve into it. Yeah, um, I'll just I'll be pretty brief. Uh, I, I think that there's definitely it's definitely harmful. So, like, how, you know, what do we what is the government's responsibility with that regard? And and we have this open Internet. We're definitely it's definitely a unique time where we have all of this. I, I really want to mention just the, this phrase, the, this term, the British Board of Film Censors. So when I did a pod, pad, podcast with Lotus Eaters a few years ago with Callum, uh, I forget his last name, in, in the UK, mm-hmm. he mentioned that we talked about the British Board of Film Film Censors and back basically how in the 30s versus the 60s versus the 90s, what is acceptable? What did this committee of people decide was acceptable for society? So I think the danger with pornography and is how how easily it can be escalated up to like okay one minute you're watching a certain type of porn and then then the the addict or or the person the user has to escalate to different types to satisfy their their increased sexual craving so that would be just in general in society if we have something that we accept as normal like what do we accept as normal in society and and there is a lot of uh there are a lot of minors on on websites like Pornhub. And so that that's my issue, I think, with is just are we normalizing this kind of behavior? Is there violence in it? That, that's my, my take, my quick take. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a, definitely a symptom. So I, I'm, I might have a little bit of different take on this whole thing. First off, um, it is the parents' responsibility to protect their children from this. Um, Agreed. The, the parental, you know situation because people say to me, oh well, it's not my responsibility. I, I can tell you right now, my kids, my responsibility and my kid would never deal he wouldn't steal he wouldn't i mean for the same purposes it's because i taught him right right the government it's not the government's job to just ban it outright because it is free speech right they, they can do that but what i think is the failure is is again it, it comes back to the same issue that i have right now which is if if these companies that are online can do anything they want it means they can entice children into and when i say children i'm still talking about 18 year olds Right, they're still children in in their heads. Right, they're not a fully developed brain. Right. They're enticing these mm-hmm. children into becoming social media influencers, OnlyFans people, and they're ruining their lives. They they don't understand the long term implications when, you know, years down the road, let's say they run, you know, they, they try to become a doctor, and you know they've got butt play stuff on the internet. Right, they don't understand the long term effects of what they're dist- how they're destroying their lives. And it's because there's culpability with the sites themselves enticing it. It's just like Backpage had an escort section that was, you know, it was enticing people to, to get engaged in human trafficking, right? Sex, perf- you know, they knew that they were facilitating that. And that's exactly what this judge said. And that's why I said it's so important is he said, if the algorithm is designed to facilitate the conduct, they're not protected. And, but the courts think they are currently, and it's like, no, they're not. If there, if the, if there's conscious thought in putting these kids in a, in a precarious position to ruin their lives, the site should be held accountable. 
but they're not because courts are just they don't understand this they don't understand what's going on they haven't applied it right and i think that the internet would get a whole lot better if they did fix it i mean there's you know the implications of what we're trying to do is is just it's it's universal it's all the way across the board it would make the internet a better place but so far we haven't been able to do it um so i don't think that and it should be banned i think that that's ridiculous i i'm you know, a strong proponent. I, I, I think hate speech. I think hate speech is perfectly fine. Unless it could fat- potentially cause physical harm to another individual, I think it should not be banned. Period. I don't care what they say. Agreed. Right? And I, I mean, I would even advocate for the people that, you know, trash me. But if their intent is to defame me, well, that violates civil law. Right? And the point there is I don't want the government to step in and stop them from doing it. Let them do it then don't stop me from being able to hold them accountable for it, right? That's where we got the problem. And that's exactly what's going on with Facebook is I'm not asking the government to make them compel them to host my speech. I'm saying being that they represented that they were a a free platform for all ideas and they're wiping out people's ideas. And essentially, if you don't pay them, you're going to get wiped out too. Well, let me hold them civilly liable for that. That's, That's fraud, right? That's extortion. And that's all my point is, is that because the, because these courts, you know, these companies have been able to get away with murder, they're committing murder. They're murdering people's lives, and it's terrible. Right, yeah, and just, you know, quickly circling back to the uh, the subject of, the you know, the porn online, you know, before we wrap up in these next couple of minutes, I think one aspect of that that is it's so... Because it's so pervasive online, and yes, absolutely, it's the parents' responsibility and, and, and all of that, and I'm completely in agreement with, with both, you know, all three of you gentlemen uh, with regard to, to that. And I think that, you know, the answer really is, you know, more knowledge, more understanding, because it's it's in addition to, you know, like, like Ryan mentioned, we're living in this really unique time. You know, there's no, no other point in history has there been this amount of information, both good and bad, so widely accessible to such a massive portion of the population? So it's this really, you know, uh, interesting focal point in history. And then, you know, you factor in, and this, I wish we had more time because it opens up so many more rabbit holes, the fact that there are demonstrably other nefarious agendas at play with the proliferation of pornography online being part and parcel to this, what we see uh, trickling through the entertainment culture, this deliberate over-sexualization of younger and younger and younger individuals, which absolutely plays in part with that. And so I really do think that, you know, just really the solution to so many problems, not just this in this microcosm, but in the macrocosm as well, just more knowledge, more understanding of like, this is what's happening, this is why it's happening, and this is you as a young person let me teach you so that you know how to avoid this crap. That's exactly it is, is that they're enticing them in. And that's, that's mm-hmm. where big, t- uh, big tobacco got stopped as they said, stop putting up these cool ads to get kids to smoke and they should be doing the same exact thing for OnlyFans. I mean, yep. and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I think OnlyFans is, is literally destroying America. I mean, I think it really is messing everything up. But at the same time, I damn near built it. I actually started working on something very similar and then got derailed by Facebook. So you can't stop progress. You can't stop people building businesses. The thing is, is that you can regulate them in the interest of the public. And in the interest of the public here is don't let them go after our kids. But, right. of course, you see the government going and, after our kids on a consistent basis now. 
and the crazy thing is OnlyFans wasn't even intentionally originally designed as this, you know, over no. sexualization. It was, you know, but it became that. Yep. Yeah, because it, it yeah. allowed people – see, the fundamental thing of what I was building as an app was I was going to allow people to monetize their own audiences. And one of the lacking areas at, back when I was doing this stuff was girls had massive male audiences, but they had no way to monetize because nobody would share their products with, with these girls that are just showing pictures of themselves. And then all of a sudden they realize, wait, you know, I, I realized you could actually sell the content itself. Let them make money from their own, you know, thing. And it changed, it, it changed the, it didn't just change the industry. It changed girls. Like women mm -hmm. have changed these days. Why? Because they now know, they, they know that they can just get an income by taking their clothes off. And that's, right. that's scary, right? Yeah. Because eventually that goes away. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's then you have a bunch of middle-aged, burned-out OnlyFans. I mean, yeah. it's just a fucking horrible future. Oh my god, we gotta stop it. 20, 20, 25 years from now, can you imagine what this is gonna be? Oh, so what? What are you? Uh, I'm a retired OnlyFans girl. Right. And that's not to even mention the the you know just the AI implications of it and the way that AI is already starting to have mass implications on this whole market. Yeah. Oh. That, that's a great place to stop, right? Retired, yeah. retired, only fans, mid fifties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, free thinkers. This episode is nearing the end. We wanted to take this time to remind you: if you found value in this conversation, please consider hitting that like button and subscribing to the Free Thought Project podcast on your preferred platform of choice. It's an easy, no-cost way to support us and ensure you never miss an episode. Also, the Free Thought Project operates primarily on the generosity of our listeners. If you believe in our mission and support our cause, please consider donating or subscribing by going to the membership tab at the top of our website. Your contributions ensure we are able to continue our important work having these important conversations, and your donations help us do just that. Lastly, if you're part of an organization or own a business that aligns with our mission and values, we are currently inviting sponsorships for our podcast. This is a fantastic opportunity to promote your product or make your brand visible to our engaged audience while supporting meaningful discourse. Thank you for your support, Freethinkers, and as always, thank you for listening. We always like to end, um, you know, we've talked about some really fucking dark and pessimistic shit this whole time so we always like to end on like a, a white pill you know or a, a solution uh based question so um you know i got time for one of you guys who wants to take it uh i'll, I'll Go um it. i'll take it i'll take it so the solution the solution is so um with jason here in the social media social media media freedom foundation uh the, the, the solution for me is blockchain like like decentralized you know, get as, as many websites as possible, start using Bitcoin, like, uh, we, yeah, fight the legal battles, but at the same time, we need to build our own separate system, a parallel economy. That's that's my solution. And and, and I would go to the help us fight. Here, here. I'll be honest with you. I, mean, I see people donating to political campaigns that are absolutely useless and, and, and putting their money where it doesn't really matter. Like everything, if you go to socialmediafreedom.org and donate, Every single dollar that you donate is going into fighting for your rights. It's that simple. Like, because they're my rights too. They're my kids' rights. You know, I, I'm. This is the real battle, 
and 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 if you want to you know actually put it into something stop paying attention to the big blowhards that are up there and look at those of us that are legit in the fight right that's what i'd say pay attention to the little guy because the little guy's information is generally the one that's suppressing I the agree. hardest Yeah, you guys are doing some very important work over there at SMFF, man. I, I we're gonna have the link for uh to to give you guys uh to to get to drive donations that way. And if you're listening to this podcast, click on whatever platform you're listening to, you'll see that link below. Um, do you guys want to plug anything else before we uh end this uh really enlightening conversation? Come, uh, you know, if people want more information on this, obviously go to the website. But you know, Twitter has been the only place that I think we can get word out. So again, my name Jason Fyk. Come find me on Twitter. You know, I put stuff out there all the time, and it, and it generally is is stuff you don't hear anywhere else. So that's the other thing. Follow us on, on an actual site that allows us to speak freely. Definitely. Well, Jason, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on today, man. It's been a, a great conversation, and hopefully we uh, we figure this out before it's uh, we have a generation of fucking 50-year-old know, right? fans, ladies everywhere. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Matt. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> Peace out, fellas.